Hello, friends. This is Caleb Suko, and you are listening to the Now is the Time podcast. This is the podcast where we talk about how we can use our lives right now to worship our God. This may be the last episode from the United States, friends. We are scheduled to fly back to Ukraine on February 15th. And today I'm recording this. This is February 8th. So that is exactly one week from today. And man, this the time has flown by for us. And we've got a lot of packing to do. We still have one church to visit. We are going to be in at Puyallup Community Baptist Church this Sunday in the morning. If you're near, come and see us. We'd love to see you. And in the evening, especially if you are near, we would really like to see you in the evening, February 11th at 6 p.m. We'll be at Discovery Baptist Church, and we're going to have a special sending service. So that's just a time we're going to share about some of our plans coming up for this term in Ukraine. Also, we uh, the church is going to pray for us as they kind of send us out again back to Ukraine for more ministry. So it'll be a special time of, of dedication to serving the Lord. And also it'll be a special time of just being able to see some of you guys, maybe for the last time before we head back to Ukraine. So if you're in the area at all, please come. February 11th, that is this Sunday, 6 o'clock at Discovery Baptist Church because we would love to see you there. We're going to have a time of fellowship afterwards. I think they have a little pie or ice cream or I don't know, something like that. But anyway, it, we won't be running off right away after the service. So that'll be a time to talk and and, uh, and to say goodbye to some people too. Which, by the way, I probably should do a podcast episode on that. But, you know, I just have to tell you, it's the, the missionary life is this constant leaving and coming, or, or I should say coming and leaving. I don't know which goes first, but it kind of, it, it's kind of an upheaval of life in a way because you're always leaving someone behind that you love, but you're going to someone or to people that you love as well. So there's always this bitter, sweet type of a feeling to it. And we've had such a wonderful time in the States visiting many of you and some of you have had us in their, your homes some of us some of you have seen us at church and, and it has been wonderful but now it's time for us to go and it's time for us to go back to Ukraine where where we will be once again involved in people's lives and there are many people waiting for us there and we will be in ministry and we will be sharing the gospel and and so anyway uh probably maybe the next episode i'll dedicate to that topic of just the whole coming and going of the missionary life in fact my sermon this coming sunday is going to be on uh, on three aspects of, of the task of missions and part of it is going you know we do have to go and sometimes that's a little bit hard to do. Honestly, that's why not everyone becomes a missionary because they don't want to go. They don't want to leave people. Uh, but uh, but when you have seen that God has called you, then you know that you, you really do have to go. All right. That's a little beyond uh, <laughs> the topic for today. Today, I want to share with you a very special sermon that I preached this past Sunday at Grace Point Church. Grace Point Church 
is uh, almost sort of like our second sending church. They are pretty close to us here in Bremerton, Silverdale area. And it was very special to be there. And I preached on joy and coming second, Philippians chapter 2. And here's the deal. Uh, the last couple of times I've been asked to preach on things, they're like hard passages. I mean, or, or hard topics. Like I got asked to preach on uh, learning from suffering. You know, that was that was a painful sermon to prepare. And this one too, Philippians chapter 2, 1 through 11. My goodness, read it through. And if that doesn't humble you, if that doesn't change the way you view some of your relationships, then you're not reading the same text I am anyway. Listen on, and you will hear that sermon. So anyway, that was uh, this past Sunday at Silverdale, or sorry, at Grace Point Church. Um, And let's see, one other thing before I, I forgot to mention this, before we get into the sermon, and that is uh, we are doing a special, we're going to have a special offering on Sunday night for, that is going to go towards the printing of the story of hope in Ukrainian. The story of hope is the chronological Bible study that we use in churches, that we train people to use as a way of sharing the gospel in a very biblical, chronological, and well-informed manner. And right now we only have that in Russian, but we'd like to make that available to churches, especially in Western Ukraine, that are Ukrainian-speaking if you don't know, we have two languages in Ukraine, Russian and Ukrainian. And so we have already done the translation. We've already gone through, done the corrections on the translation. We've had a team of pastors, church leaders go through it with a fine-tooth comb. And so much, much of the work has already been done. We've already printed out 50 copies that we're testing And that has all been done and already paid for. And now we just need to enter some of the final little corrections and tweaks to make it work well. And we are planning to print about a thousand copies. And so we are looking to raise about, uh, I think think about $2,000 to to get these printed up and be made available to our Ukrainians, our Ukrainian Ukrainian speakers, right? In Western Ukraine and in other places where Ukrainian is spoken. And that will be a great aid to churches there. So if you would like to give a gift to that, I will put a link in the show notes for this episode. We'll also be talking about that on Sunday night at our sending service and have a special offering towards that. Uh, If you can't come to our sending service, I believe it will be live streamed. You can go to discoverybaptist.org to catch the live stream. So folks, I think I need to get, I need to get back to packing. Actually, Christine's already packed two bags, but uh, I need to uh, get some things done. And so I am going to switch over to the sermon audio, finding joy in being second. Here we go. Well, Grace Point Church, it is a real joy to be with you here this morning, and I hope that in a very small way, this is kind of how we can return all the support and love and prayers that you guys have given us by ministering to you and serving you this morning through God's Word. You know, an interesting uh, little history about your church 
is that Christina and I were married on June 14th, 1997. Did I get that right? Oh, good. Okay. <laughs> I was thinking. That's right. Okay. June 14th, 1997. And on June 15th, 1997, we were married on a Saturday. June 15th was a Sunday. And you, you know what I, I said, Christina? We need to go to church. It's the first day of our married life. We need to go to church. I said, well, you know, there's, there's this church. Well, back then it was called Silverdale, right? There's this, this church, Silverdale Baptist. Let's go there. It's kind of a bigger church. We'll probably just kind of slip into the back. Nobody will notice that we're there. You know, you don't want anybody like, oh, yeah, you know, it's the first day of your, your wedding life, your wedded life. So, so we went on our first day of our marriage almost 21 years ago. But that's not it. We sat in the back and Pastor DeGraff at that time said, hey, by the way, there's Caleb and Christina Sugo. They just got married yesterday. <laughs> well, I think this church has always been a welcoming church. And, uh, and we're, we're glad for that. And so this morning, I have the privilege of sharing with you about this idea of joy in being second. Recently, I've been asked to speak in a number of different missions conferences, and the last one, they said, well, we want you to speak on suffering. I said, oh, thanks a lot. I mean, these are hard things, and now they asked me to speak on being second. These are difficult things, are they not? And I know I, I listened to, to Barry's sermon yesterday. These are some difficult things that, that we have to understand from Scripture. But it's so important for us because we, we live in a society today that I think has two great misconceptions. And one is to confuse joy with amusement or thrill or self-gratification. And the second is to think that the way to joy is through personal pursuit and pursuing those things that make me feel good and that promote my individual purposes and that promise me some sort of physical or emotional satisfaction. And so our culture says, pursue your dreams, do what makes you happy, or we have the phrase YOLO. I think you know what that means, right? You only live once, which usually sort of means like, hey, go have fun, do whatever you want because you're only going to live once and it's not exactly a, a biblical perspective on life. But here it is, here's the, the, the funny thing. You would think that in a society where people are pursuing their own dreams and the things that they believe will make themselves feel happy, you think that you would find a lot of happy people. And the fact is that there are more methods and there are more technologies, there are more types of entertainment, there are more choices, there are, there's more ability today to pursue your own happiness and pleasure than I think there has ever been. And yet we are finding that this society that's fixated on having a blast and making a life fun isn't. Or maybe outwardly they are, but there's some very clear factors. We see suicide is the second leading cause of death of those between the ages of 15 and 34. It's, a top, it's in the top 10 causes of death for all age ranges. And so this me first, find your dreams, pursue your happiness society is not getting happier. 
There's a really interesting book. Uh, it's called The Progress Paradox, written by Greg Easterbrook. And he goes and he details statistically what is happening to our society. The book is just a couple years old, but uh, I, I encourage you to take a look at it if you can. I want to read just a little section of this because I think it helps us understand what's happening in our society with happiness. He says this, If you sat down with a pencil and graph paper to chart the trend of American and European life since the end of World War II, you'd do a lot of drawing that was pointed up. Per capita income, real income, longevity, home size, cars driven, trips taken, and so on. It's like progress Seem, seems to be that things are getting better. But then notice what he says a little bit later. But your graphs would lose their skyward direction when the topic turned to inner self. The trend line for happiness has been flat for 50 years. The trend, line for, uh, the trend line is negative for the number of people who consider themselves very happy. That percentage is gradually declining since the 1940s. And the trend line would cascade downward like water over a falls on the topic of avoiding depression. Adjusting for population growth... Ten times as many people in the Western nations today suffer from unipolar depression or unremitting bad feelings without a specific cause than did half a century ago. That's astounding. And that is the society and the culture that we live in today. And so I, I, he finishes off with, with a very interesting statement that I think just encapsulates this all. He says, for increasing number of Americans and Europeans, life is like being in a really nice hotel room, but not having a good time because no one else came along for the trip. Can you picture that? You know people like that? Maybe, maybe that describes your life a little bit. We've got it good. We have the comforts of life, but we don't feel good. And so the conditions of life and seeking our own happiness are not producing happiness. Where can we find true joy? And today we're going to look at God's word and, and find a very important truth. But before we do that, I just, there's one thing that I really want to point home here, and, and, and that is this. We find joy... Not by putting ourselves first, but by putting ourselves second. If there's one just major thought that I, I would like you to grasp from, from this scripture today, it is, it is simply this. Too many people are under the deception that if I get what I want, I will be happy. And then they get what they want, and then they, they say, well, maybe that wasn't really what I wanted because I'm not happy yet. And so let me try this over here. And they are spending their entire lives trying to get what they want. And a lot of people are actually doing a good job of getting what they want. And they're also doing a good job of causing a lot of destruction along the way. What we'll find here is that true joy is found when we put ourselves second. I want to read from Philippians chapter 2 verses 1 through 11. This is our text today. If you have a Bible, you can turn to it or on your phone. This is Paul's words to the church in Philippi. He says, therefore, 
If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Paul says it well, doesn't he? I read through that and I think, do I need to preach a sermon here? I mean, Paul just said it really well. It's like he's talking to our society and our culture here today. And if, if we rewind a little bit, we re remember that in chapter 1, Paul was mainly just talking about his own situation. He told the Philippians that he had been put in prison, but don't worry about it because it's all good and people are hearing the gospel as a result of that. And he has some really personal things that he brings out in chapter 1 as he talks to the Philippians and really shares his situation. He talks about how the fact that he, 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 he lives for Christ and that is such a big purpose in his life that he just wants to go and be with Christ, but he knows that it's important for him to be here and serve, to serve the Philippians and to serve the others. And so as we turn to chapter two here, Paul also kind of turns his direction and he starts talking more directly to the Philippian church. This is really why Paul wrote this letter. And this section is probably the most theological section of this letter. But it, it is theological, but it is deep and it is rich and it is beautiful in its teachings of Christ and what it meant for Christ to leave heaven and come to earth and how that is an example for us and how we can find joy because if Christ said, I will be second, and he found joy in doing the hard things that it took to serve you and to serve me, then we can also find joy in those things. So let's look at this text a little more carefully here. Verses 1 and 2, he says this, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being in one spirit and of one mind. 
And Paul is really giving us the sort of the reason. Why should we find joy in being second here? Why should we? Why is it important for us to do this? And in fact, if you just go back to the last two verses of chapter one, you find in, in verse 29 and 30, Paul says, listen, you guys are, are going through some of the same struggles that I'm going through and that I went through. And so we know that one of the reasons we need to find joy in being second is because there are going to be struggles and trials in this life. And if we don't understand this concept, we will lose our joy when life gets hard. And if you remember, go back to Acts 16 and look at Paul's time in Philippi. Christine and I had an opportunity a couple of years ago. We visited Philippi in, in, in Greece. And they have a, a place there where they think Paul was in prison. It's a cave. It's just a cave. But the, in Acts chapter 16, what we find out is when Paul was in Philippi, first of all, for, for days upon days, he was pestered by this demon-possessed girl that followed him around. And it just annoyed him until to, to, he finally put a stop to it. And then... A mob attacks him and strips him naked. And then he gets flogged, whipped publicly. And then he gets thrown into that cave. Then there's an earthquake. The jailer gets saved. And then he's asked to leave the city. I mean, I'm a missionary. I write home, you know, about... Well, we did this conference and we did that seminar. I've never written home like a letter like that. And I think if I did, my churches here would say, Caleb, you got to come home. you got to come home. In fact, I, I, I write about the war sometimes, you know, and we've seen some hard things with the war, but, but we're not in the war zone, and, and people get very concerned about us. But we're... I, I believe that we're safe where we are there in Odessa. But, but the point here is that, that we need to find this joy because there will be struggles and there will be trials in our life just like the Philippians were go, going through. The, the, the next reason why, I think, is because joy is really inseparable from our growth in faith. And, and so what, what I want you to understand here is that it's really, it, it's, it's impossible for you to grow in your faith without joy. I want you to, to think about that. If you don't have joy, I think it's safe to say you are not growing in your faith. We live in Eastern Europe. They're known for not smiling. When you take a picture, you don't smile. You know how you can spot an American on the street? They smile. And everyone's like, well, that's kind of suspicious. What is that guy smiling about, you know? <laughs> but, you know, joy doesn't always mean you have a smile on your face. Because joy is deeper. Joy can put a smile on your face. And it should put a smile on your face. But joy is deeper. And so if you want to grow in your faith, you have to understand this concept of joy. If I see a Christian that is walking around and they're always down and, and, and they, they never exhibit any kind of joy in their lives, I know that something is wrong spiritually with them. 
Because joy is part of our spiritual growth. Jesus had joy. How do we know? Because when the angels announced his birth, they said, this is good news of great joy. And I think that we know it. You know why? Because children came to him. I mean, adults will go to people for different reasons and whatever. But we, and we can put up with people that are not joyful, right? If we know we have to, if our job depends upon it or something like that. But children came to Jesus. He was, he was joyful. And so all of these things that, that Paul is saying here, united with Christ, comfort and love, sharing in the spirit, tenderness and compassion, those are all evidences of spiritual growth. Say, do you have any of these? Is there any evidence in your life? Tenderness, compassion, the Holy Spirit. What is your spiritual status right now? If there's no joy, you're not growing. You need to have joy in your life. And then the, the other thing that I think is reason why we ought to have joy is because our joy brings joy to others. Our joy brings joy to others. True joy is, it's a rare thing, unfortunately. But true joy is contagious. And notice what Paul says. He says something in interesting. He says, I want you to understand these things and know things so that my joy would be complete. So with the Philippians had joy in being second, Paul would have joy as he looked at that. Did you know that there's no better way to make your pastor joyful than for you to have joy in the Lord? I mean, that's what your, your pastor, your teacher, your, your parents, that's what they want to see. Joy brings joy to others, and that is why we, we need to, to have this joy. Let's jump down to verses 3 and 4 now. It says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Okay, this is where it gets very personal. This is theological, but it is entirely practical because when we understand it, it affects every single relationship in our life. And, and, and what we really need to understand about this section right here is that, you know, finding joy in being second is more about an attitude than it is about an action. Vital for us to understand that. Paul is first and foremost talking about an attitude of the mind and heart here. We need to understand it. We need to believe it. We need to, to take it into our being, this attitude of being second. And here's the reason why? Because service to others without humility will always be cruel and unbearable. Have you ever tried to serve someone you didn't really love, you didn't really respect, and maybe kind of annoyed you? That is temporary at best. Again, you might do it because you're getting a paycheck. You might do it for some other reasons. You might tolerate it for a while. But it is a, a, a load to bear and it pushes you down and it does not bring joy. 
So get your attitude right first. And too many people, they go out and they think, okay, well, if I just do a little more, if I just serve a little more. God wants us to serve, but he wants us to serve from a right heart attitude. And so Paul contrasts a few things here to help us understand what he's talking about. And if we get this heart attitude right, it makes our service joyful. It takes off that burden. It frees us. And we receive joy. And so, first of all, a couple of negative things here. Not with selfish ambition, right? This was an interesting word. It used for someone who was running for political office. Okay, don't be a politician in your service. Don't do it expecting that, okay, if I do this, then maybe I can work my way up the, the, the ladder of, of authority in the church or some weird thing like that, okay? We're not politicians. And, and literally, this, this word in Greek was used for, for someone who was doing that, who was trying to work their way up the ladder. We should not be sticking you know, these yard signs everywhere. Hey, vote for Caleb, because he's a great servant, then he says, vain conceit. I love how Paul, he doesn't just leave you with one word. Don't be selfish. No, he's like, no selfish ambition, no vain conceit. Not looking, I mean, he is making sure you understand this, right? Vain conceit literally means empty glory. You see, the problem is that when we serve for our own self-interest, you know what's happening? That's empty glory. We're asking people to glorify us instead of God. That is empty. That is, it's, it's temporary and it's not lasting and it won't fulfill you. And in the end, it'll cause you more problems than you want to think. So vain conceit, and then he simply says, not look into your own interests. Okay, that, that typifies the attitude we shouldn't have when we serve, Right? But let's look more importantly, the attitude that we should have when we serve. And the first thing he says is simply, uh, a second attitude is about being humble. Literally here, this means having a low mind. Being humble. And then he says that we are to look to the interests of others. That ought to be our, our, our driving motivation. How can I help? What is important to them? What can I do for them? And then finally, he says here, have the mind of Christ. Have the mind of Christ. And then he shows us what that is as, as we go down here a little bit further. And so humility, if we could just define it shortly, I think is this. It is to see yourself as God sees you. Seeing yourself as God sees you. But there, there's a, a bit of a danger here because there's something that I, I call false humility. And, and so I want to talk a little bit about some dangers here with, with humility. And there's a couple of things that I see when it comes to humility. First of all, uh, true humility. It is the, the only way to really see who you are. Who you are, okay? Do you want to know who you are? Be humble. It will take off those blinders of pride. Also, true humility, it, it always contrasts ourselves, not with our neighbor, not with our spouse, but with God. That's why we have a low mind. 
because we're looking at God, the creator, right? True humility also enables service. Instead of putting a big burden on you, it frees you to serve. And, and finally, this is really important, true humility, it recognizes that I am created in God's image. So it sees the value and worth that God has put into me. It's not proud about it. It doesn't take a holier-than-thou attitude about it, but it sees that, that value. And so that is true humility. So what, what does putting yourself second not mean? Here, here's the real kind of dangers, I think. First of all, putting yourself second does not, or, or it fails to recognize God's image in you. So if you're just going around, oh, you know, I'm such always such a, I'm just a terrible person, I can't do anything right, and, and you just have a real poor self-image. That's not humility. Some people mistake that as humility, okay? False humility fails to recognize God's image. Also, false humility often uh, can come and have a victim type of an attitude. Oh, you know, this happened to me and I can't, and, and it's just always, I can't because of some other circumstances, True humility, as we said, it enables. False humility, it disables. Okay? Tr uh, false humility can also make you kind of a doormat for evil people. Listen, humility doesn't mean that we just stand by when people are doing evil things and say nothing. Jesus went into the temple and turned over the tables. He stood for what was right. That was humility. Also, false humility sometimes fails to take care of spiritual and physical needs. It doesn't mean we don't take care of our own needs. We need to take care of our own needs. In fact, there's humility in taking care of our own needs. We need to take care of them so we can serve others. Right? So let's not fall into that. Well, let's look at these last two parts here. Uh, verses 6, 7, and 8, we see Jesus' example of joy in being second. Who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Okay, if you think that you have anything to be proud about, just remember this. Jesus was God, and he didn't consider it worth boasting about and lording it over people about when he was here on earth. That ought to humble all of us right away. And that's where this attitude of second comes from. It comes from Jesus. And I don't even know how we can understand this. It's so far beyond our comprehension. Closest thing I can get is, let me just give you a quick illustration or what if. What if tomorrow morning you got a knock on the door and you opened the door and President Trump was standing there? Now, I don't know what, you know, if you like Trump or you don't like Trump, it doesn't matter in this illustration here, okay? But President Trump is standing at your door, and you're like, whoa, whoa you know, President Trump. And he says, what do, you, what do you want? Or you say to him, what do you want? He says, oh, I just wanted to come and clean your bathroom today. Can I do that? And you're like, whoa, wait a minute, this has got to be a joke or something, right? And like, well, okay, fine, you can clean my bathroom and you go in, you show him your bathroom. He goes, oh, no, not this bathroom. I mean the bathroom in your master bedroom. Oh, no, no, wait a minute. I haven't 
touch that one for a couple of months, you know. I don't want you going, oh no, I'll clean it for you. In fact, I'll do whatever you want all day today. You know, we laugh at something like that, right? We're like, that's ridiculous. He'd never do that. He's so powerful. He's got so much money. He would never. Multiply it a million times and a million times again. And we begin to understand the humility of being the second that Jesus had when he came to earth. It's unfathomable. And yet, in our own little minds, we just want to stand up there and say, well, yeah, but, but this is my right, but this is what I wanted. But, wait a minute, that's not the mind of Christ. That's not his example. He is the almighty God, the creator of heaven and earth, the father of time, the one who measured the oceans in the palm of his hand, and yet he became man. And then that man became a slave. And then that slave became a criminal. And then that criminal was put to death in the most humiliating way they had thought of. We need to let that understanding sink in. And maybe next time our spouse says, well, you know, but I really wanted, we're not going to say, yeah, but I, first of all, okay, sure. You know, this little passage right here could probably fix about 99% of problems in marriages. And you're probably thinking, yeah, I wish my spouse was like that. <laughs> Wait, what about, what, about, what about you? What about you? But this, this is relational. Can you imagine what your marriage would be like if you and your spouse were like this? Just absolutely consumed with serving each other in humility. That is a, a wonderful, beautiful thing. And so, true humility can only come from a true understanding of who Jesus, who Jesus is and faith in what he has done. And that's also very important for us to remember. We need to believe these things. Without faith, it's, it's just not going to happen. All right, let's look at these last few verses here as we conclude. This is the result of being second. This is the result in Jesus' life. And this will be some of the results in our lives when we are second. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, here, here's the thing. The, the ultimate end of joy is God's glory. Not ours. The ultimate end of joy is God's glory, not just a simple thrill or a surface happiness or getting what I want out of life. It is God's glory. And when we begin to understand that, we will realize that we can live our lives in such a way here and now to give God glory. And when we begin to realize that God is getting glory from 
things that he's allowed me to do, there will be this deep-seated joy that no one can take away from you. That's the wonderful thing about it. If you try to put your joy in a house or in a spouse or in a child or in a car or in a sport or in an activity or in an entertainment, someone can always take those things away from you. But you put your joy in the glory of God and God will never take that away from you. He will only increase that joy as he receives the glory. That's true joy. As I finish here, I just want to share with you a few ways that, that being second brings true joy. First of all, how does being second bring joy? It frees us from the pressure of being first. Have you ever felt that pressure? I gotta, I gotta do it. I gotta perform. I've gotta try to be first. Being second frees you from that. That's joy right there. Also, it, it teaches us that joy isn't dependent upon our circumstances. How wonderful is that? Because some of you are going through some really hard things right now. You're thinking, how can I have joy? It's not dependent upon your circumstances. Also, this is something really wonderful here. It allows us to see God's simple graces. You know, pride is a blinder. Being second, being humble, opens our eyes to the millions of wonderful and beautiful things that God is doing all around us all the time. It makes us like Christ. It really does. Because he was second. You want to be like Christ? You be second. And then finally, it allows us to bring glory to God. Our ultimate end and our ultimate purpose. Let's pray.